Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. And my doctor said, look, if you don't go to the hospital right now, I'm going to call an ambulance for you or, you know, you're, we're going to put you in a body bag essentially. And I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of real. And it was at that point that I made a decision never to use drugs again. My guest today is named Carl Fessenden. He is the host of the Drunken Worm podcast, and he is also a substance use counselor. Welcome to the show, Carl. All right, guys. Uh, Hello. My name is Carl Fessenden. I am a recovering addict, a person in long-term recovery, and I just want to come on to this podcast to talk to you guys about my story and how I was able to go from a dope fiend into a hope fiend. And I hope you guys don't mind the music going here. I host my own podcast called The Drunken Worm, and I just love to get down with a little bit of beats as we're going into the show. Nice, nice. I like that, man. You are the first guest that has ever played their own intro music, so that is awesome. Nice. (laughs) Welcome to the show, Carl. So glad to have you on, man. Like you said, you have your own podcast, Drunken Worm. Uh, just so excited to have you on, man. I love I love talking to fellow recovery podcasters, and you know we were chit chatting a little bit before the episode, and it's always great just to kind of compare gear and and see what what other people are doing, man. But you know, more importantly, we're here to talk about recovery and and addiction and and what what that does in our lives, man. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of telling us a little bit about your backstory, where you came from, the struggles you went through and and how you found recovery. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, um, like I said, you know, my name's Carl. Uh, I am a grateful recovering addict, uh, clean today and glad to be that way. And, um, I have, I came into the uh, world of recovery on December the 8th of 2017, Uh, So I do have a birthday coming up. I'm pretty excited about that. I'll be celebrating four years, but no fronts. So, you know, um, and it's it's been a journey, man. Uh, I work in the uh, recovery industry. I'm a substance abuse counselor. I also own and host my own podcast, the Drunken Worm Podcast. And, you know, coming into uh, recovery was was something that I really needed to do because at the end of my addiction, I, I was so ready to drop all the the baggage that I had with me and take down all the masks that I would wear so that people didn't know how much I was hurting inside. So my, my addiction really started back in uh, early 2000s. Um, I, in high school, I, I signed up uh, to go into the military and then into the United States Marine Corps. 
Uh, so I am, I am proud to say that I am a United States Marine. Um, but after basic training, I was going through the uh, School of Infantry and um, I kind of had a mental break, man. And so I talked to the psychiatrist um, in the Marine Corps uh, through the Navy. And they said, you know what, I, I don't think you're really fitting with the military. And so we have this option for you where you can kind of get out of being in the service, but it will also prevent you from ever reenlisting into the military. And so I had to go through a bunch of like therapy sessions and a bunch of um, cognitive tests and, and things like that. And so I, I was discharged out of the Marine Corps um, as what they call an uncharacterized discharge. And that for me was such a relief, but it was really the start of my journey into trying to find out who I was. Um, I'm also a proud gay man who came out during high school and my mom was like, oh, great, this is an opportunity for you not to have to go into the military. Um, but, you know, I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to, uh, to do that. And the Marine Corps for me was, was a family. And so it was very hard for me to, to walk away from that. And it was even harder for my father, uh, who had a lot of pride uh, with the commitment that I had made, also coming to the graduation and seeing me in dress blues and, you know, the transformation that happened. So after I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, man. You know, it was, it was very, um, I, I jumped around from job to job, um, which is a pattern that continued throughout my addiction. And I got introduced to ecstasy, which then took me into a, you know, a heavy uh, meth addiction. And a, a lot of things that I did during my addiction. And Brett, you know, I'll tell you, man, you know, it's, it's important for me to, to be honest because I need to honor my past and the work that I've gotten to do within, you know, a 12 step community and with my sponsor has really allowed me to be honest about my path, which is like the first time in my life I've been able to be honest. So this world of recovery for me is, is really the gift that I've been allowed and being able to rise from the ashes like a phoenix. And now I have this opportunity and I really feel that I was placed on this earth to do something bigger than myself. And so that's why I like coming onto shows like this. I like telling my story. I like getting my story out there so that maybe somebody that's struggling can hear it and can relate and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I can do something big too. For sure. And I think that's, that's one of the most powerful things is, is the power of example. You know, for me in the beginning of my recovery journey, it was seeing other people that had been in similar situations that had overcome their addiction, like that living example that really gave me hope, you know, it, the, the books, the literature and stuff is great. Like I'm not trying to put that down because obviously it has a very important place in recovery. You know, that's what teaches me what the program is and what it's about. But in the beginning, it was seeing those other people that had been in similar places that I had been and seeing where their life was and how they behaved now that really right. gave me that hope. So, yeah, I think it's really important that we share our stories and that and that we be vulnerable and we be honest and we 
we share some of those things that, you know, we might not be so proud of, or some of the things that we might be embarrassed by because other people can relate to that. And that can be that, that hope shot that they need. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I can totally agree with that because when I got, when I got into recovery, uh, I started listening to podcasts and, um, so I'm going to give a shout out to a buddy of mine, Shane Raymer. Uh, he does the, that silver guy podcast and, uh, his podcast, when, when I got clean and I was going through rehab, um, through an outpatient program with, um, Kaiser and you know, that whole, that whole thing really just allowed me to think about, you know, what are the possibilities in my life? You know, where do I want to go with my life? He was doing big things on his podcast and I'm, and he, he, at that time he had, gosh, he probably had about four years clean when I started listening to him. And so, uh, or maybe just a little bit more, but you know, where he was going in his life really was inspirational for me. And also on the way out podcast, you know, so these, these guys that, that were out there doing their thing. And then also the people that were inside the fellowship, my sponsor, my sponsor brothers, um, and that fellowship family that, that I didn't have a connection to before because I was in an addiction and I didn't even know that they existed, you know, uh, was so welcoming. And they always say that, you know, look for people that have things that you aspire to or that you want to have in a program. And I think it's really true because when you look at what somebody else has, you know, I always look at, are, are they happy? It might not be material things, but, you know, on the same hand, for me coming into a program like this, part of my happiness was to have some of these material items. One of my goals was to have a brand new car that nobody else had owned. And I was able to do that within the first year and a half of my recovery. And, you know, it's, it's just being able to apply myself and the happiness and all those things come along with it. And I like that point that you made there about finding the people that have what you want. You know, that was part of the reason why I picked the sponsor that I have today is, you know, I saw how he behaved in meetings. I saw how he behaved outside of meetings, more importantly, Mm -hmm. And I saw just the way he carried himself and, you know, he just had like this really calm serenity, like just, he just always had just like this nice, even kill, like just really, I guess serenity serene is like the, the best word I can think of to describe that. And, and coming from, from a place of like chaos and, and, and just like all the craziness that addiction was and then seeing somebody that's just like so level headed and, and mellow and calm. It's like, okay, I want, I want some of that, whatever that is. I want to be more like that guy. So I'm going to hang out with that guy. And, and it kind of goes to that cliche saying of, of we're, we're, uh, I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but we're like the, the five people that we surround ourselves with is Mm -hmm. like who we become. So I want to surround myself with the kind of people that I want to become. Right. Absolutely, man. Yeah. And that's, and that's so crucial because before, you know, if I, I don't know if you were like me, but the only people that I would surround myself were like-minded people. Mm -hmm. And if I found out that somebody wasn't using man, I was like, man, I want to hang out with them because they're going to be boring. They're not going to understand that I need to get high, uh, you know, about every 25 minutes, we need to be doing something here, you know, and 
it, it was that addiction that I was trying to feed. And if they weren't, if they weren't down with the same ideas and ideals that I had, then I would didn't want to have anything to do with them. Yeah, for sure, man. Like I only, I only surrounded myself with other people that were using because people yeah. that people that didn't use, didn't understand it, or they would, you know, they frowned upon that behavior. And, right. you know, I was like, I don't need that in my life. I want to be around other people that are doing what I'm doing. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how, how we revert into this mindset of if, if you aren't like me, then I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Mm. Yeah. But can we look at it this way also? Can we look at it as now we're training ourselves to be in the same mindset that if you're not like me and if you want to go do that, then I can't have anything to do with you. Mm. It's not the choice of I don't want to have anything to do with you, but it's the idea that I can't have anything to do with you. I like that, that perspective shift right there. That's good, man. And yeah. then, and then kind of like on the same hand is coming into recovery and, and learning about being open-minded and like being around different people from, you know, all kinds of different backgrounds. That was one of the things that really struck me when I first started going to meetings was mm -hmm. like the variety of people that were there, you know, from all different backgrounds, all different races all different ages all different sexual orientations like right. just like this huge melting pot of just like the most random people you could think of <laughs> and like everybody's hanging everybody's like hanging out going to eat after the meeting like yeah. everybody's friends and it's like what is this place man like this is not what i'm used to right yeah no it's it's crazy just and so I, I've told this story a, a number of times, but I haven't told it on your podcast. So I remember the first meeting I went to and, you know, and so if I'm not around people that like know me really well, you, um, I, I, I do what I call butch it up. You know, I, I try not to, to act in really, um, I don't, this might sound really bad, but it's coming from me. So I don't care. Um, gay mannerisms or, you know, things like that. But so I walk into this meeting, it's a men's meeting in Vacaville, and it was like walking into this biker convention, you know, like 15 Harleys parked out front, but they were all brand new, super clean. And, you know, and I'm walking in and I'm in all these guys in their, in their colors and their vests, but all their colors are, you know, they're in a vest mm -hmm. and, and, um, man, it was so cool because by the end of the meeting, I was like, dude, these guys are serious about their recovery. They're serious about helping people. But my perception of the meeting was that I was walking into a potentially dangerous situation if they were to really find out who I was. Now, here's the flip side of that card is that a lot of those guys are my best friends now, man. You know, and, and it's, it's so cool because I have like all these like biker straight guys that, you know, look like they'll, they'll kill you and the people that dry cleaned your clothes. And, and they're, they're like, those are my, those are my boys. Right. And, um, and it's so cool. Just, just the way that programs bring all of these different cultures, all of these different I, people with different backgrounds together, because we're all here for the same purpose, man. We're all here to stay sober and we're all here for recovery. That's absolutely incredible, man. And I, I can relate to those kinds of stories, man. I, I'll run into people that I know from different meetings and I'll be with my wife or a friend or somebody. And they're like, how do you know that person? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how do you know all these people? Well, yeah. You know. Yeah. And that's, that's the power of the program, man. Like, okay. So, so when I got clean, 
I had one person I considered my friend and that person was still out in active addiction. Okay. Well, two. Um, and they both were out in active addiction and, you know, but I had associates that I knew because I would, you know, I, I was a dealer and I would sell to them and, you know, or buy from them, but, but we weren't actually friends. And now, you know, I, so when I started my podcast, I did a little um, thing and I said, Hey, I'm doing a fundraiser. I want to raise a thousand dollars because I wanted to get my, my roadcaster pro set up um, a few microphones, really good microphones. And I was like, okay, this is going to be really cool. And dude, within like three and a half or four days, I had $1,200 from the fundraiser and it was crazy, man. And it's all these people that are in recovery. And you know, I, I look at my phone and I'm like, man, there's so many different people out there that are, are, you know, listed under NA or AA or CA, you know? So just, just a lot of people that, that I'm blessed to have in my life. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to kind of, kind of take a little turn on this path yeah. here and, and talk to you a little bit more about your career and, and, you know, kind of get the inside scoop, um, yeah. as they say on, on what it's like to be a substance abuse counselor, kind of, you know, I, I, I personally didn't go to rehab, so I'm not like overly familiar with the rehab world. Mm -hmm. I know people that have been, I've interviewed some different people that work in that industry. I have friends that work at rehabs, but I'd just be curious to hear from you what, what it's like and how you got involved in that. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to share that with you. Uh, so I was still in rehab when my therapist, uh, during a session said, Hey, I think you would be really good at being a, a substance abuse counselor. And have you ever considered it? And one of the things that growing up that was very present in my life was, is, was, and still is my mother. And she is a um, licensed um, marriage and family therapist. And so she always said, Hey, you make a really good therapist. But my kind of my big um, hang up for me was the fact that it was a lot of school. And so when she brought this up, the therapist saying, Hey, I think you'd be good at doing this. You know, I, I wasn't really like too keen on the idea, but I, I thought about it and I talked it over with mom and she was like, yeah, you should do it. But you know, you're going to have to go back to school and it's going to be a lot of work. So I went back to the therapist and she said, have you thought about it? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. And she said, well, I want you to do a little bit of research. I want you to go out and find a few colleges and then I'll help you you know, and we'll lay it out and everything. So, um, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an addict. And so when I was given a mission to do something, dude, I do it. And, and I excel at that mission. So by in one week, I found a college, a local college that was in person. They had a whole course set up and I signed up for 12 units on my first semester of college. And I hadn't been in school in 20 years. And so that was kind of the start of, of my career as a substance abuse counselor. And one of the things that she always told me is that you're going to have to work in kind of the, the, the bottom of the barrel places initially in order to get up to the higher end rehab. And that was definitely true, man. You know, um, I worked at a county rehab in, in uh, Napa and really great work there, really great program. But it was definitely a, a county-run facility, and 
I, I learned, you know, a lot of things uh, by doing that, uh, facilitating groups, um, working within the drug medical system, uh, learning what an ASAM is, which is a document that we use to assess um, people's uh, level of care so that we can say you can either go into this program or you can go into this program. And so, you know, from there, I was able to jump over to this uh, great company called Acadia Healthcare. And um, I worked at a treatment facility uh, called Duffy's Napa Valley Rehab. And this was like, this was, you know, this was up there with the high-end rehabs that you have maybe like in Southern California. You know, people are paying, you know, over $2,000 a day just to be there. And so I, I had this ability to now work with this really amazing clinical team and really learn, you know, about being a counselor. But the weird thing was like my first month and a half there, every day I drove into through that gate, we had to put our code in and the gate would open up and then we'd drive over to the parking lot. Almost every single day I went through that gate, I was thinking to myself, am I really qualified to be here? Because all the other counselors that were there had degrees and they had, you know, they were doctors and, and stuff like that. And, and I was just coming out of community college and I had just finished a certificate program, which allowed me to work in a facility like this. But, you know, when I looked at all of these other things that these other people had achieved, I felt personally, and they didn't make me feel this way, but I felt inside, I was like, am I enough? And I was waiting for that other shoe to drop, man, you know, going through the gates. But um, yeah, I worked, I worked there um, over a year and then I got... I'm asked to come over to a facility which was um, down the street from my house and to be a counselor there. And that's where I'm currently at with Archway Recovery Services out of Fairfield. That's incredible, man. And and what a testimony to recovery and just like yeah. the, the lost dreams reawakened and going back to school, man. I feel like I'm always talking to people that, that they get clean and then all of a sudden they have all these ambitions and they're doing stuff mm -hmm. with their life. And, you know, that's that just that just shows like, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people and, and, and putting the drugs and alcohol and whatever else we're struggling with putting that down. And like you talked about that addict on a mission, man, I can totally mm -hmm. relate to that because if I put my mind to something like, it's almost like I get hype, I get hyper-focused on whatever it is and yeah. it's like all consuming and I'm just going to, I'm going to learn everything about everything. You know, that's how it was when right. I started the podcast, man, like yeah. two or three weeks straight. All I would do, all I would do in my free time is like watch YouTube videos and read right, articles and listen to other podcasts about how to start podcasts. It's right. Like yeah, on dude, and totally. on and on. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm the same way. Like when I start something and like, even when I launched the online store, I watched maybe for like two weeks on just videos on comparisons from like one printing company to another one online store versus another online store because I wanted to absorb as much information as I could because I really feel like now we have this opportunity to make an informed decision, not based off of our feelings and, you know, our emotions, which for me also get tied into that, but I don't need that instant. I need to have it now feeling that I would have with doing drugs because now I can go through and it's going to sound weird, but it's almost like I'm getting a high from watching these videos kind of, but I'm also understanding the process that I'm going to need to do to start a podcast or, uh, you know, anything that I want to start, you know, my first stop is YouTube 
and trying to find people that are that are informative and that are educated that have been doing it for a while and what are their suggestions danny trejo uh, made a comment in a movie called uh inmate number one the rise of danny trejo and um he said that um so uh, the things that i've done in my youth all of my transgressions and everything that i've done in my youth let me live those so that you don't have to and that's the way i kind of look at videos you know i'm like i want to find the videos where people are like man i really screwed up on this so let me teach you from my own mistakes yeah yeah and that's kind of like to me that's kind of what the podcast is about man is is we can share our stories and yeah. and people can learn from our mistakes hopefully you Absolutely. know i feel like a lot of people that are listening to the podcast have probably made similar mistakes but hopefully <laughs> there's some people that are listening that haven't gone that far down that path and they hear somebody's story that clicks with them and they go hey man i don't i don't need to find out what's at the end of this path i already know right i already know what happens you know and and it's a cliche that they that we say at meetings all the time like jails institutions and death but it's the truth man like those are the only those are the only ways out and you know fortunately you and i and others we got out of that before we got to got to the at least to the death part i don't know about jails and institutions for you yeah yeah I, I can definitely say institutions and um, almost death. So my two institutions are rehab, right? Because rehab is considered an institution. If you go to rehab, it's 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 in the book. It's considered an institution, right? And also the hospital, because when I got clean, um, what led me to finally release myself from my own addiction was the fact that I had uh, congested heart failure, and my doctor said, "Look, if you don't go to the hospital right now." I'm going to call an ambulance for you or, you know, you're, we're going to put you in a body bag essentially. And I was like, Oh, wow, this is kind of real. And, but it, right, it was at that point that I knew that like, I could, I could step away from this. And it was at that point that I made a decision never to use drugs again. And I know that that kind of goes against what some people say is that, you know, we should never promise that we're never going to use drugs. I'm not promising I'm never going to use drugs. I'm telling you, I'm never going to use drugs again because I know that if I do use, you might as well dig a hole right now and I'll jump into it and you can start pouring dirt on top of me because that's where I'm going to be, man. I'm going to be six feet under. Absolutely, man. And and I I, I didn't have the uh, the luxury of, of getting to go to a rehab, but I, I did do a little detox in county and that was uh, mm-hmm. that was not a, not a fun experience, man. Yeah. You know, it's something that I, I think of pretty regularly you know i think i kind of put it out of my mind until i started doing the podcast and and now i feel like i talk about it fairly regularly and you know it's one of those things where it's like at this point like i don't it doesn't embarrass me i don't care like plenty of people have been to jail like my family obviously knows my employer knows like it's not it's not a big secret and it's not a it's not a big thing you know and and for me that was kind of the beginning of my recovery journey so looking back at it now like i'm grateful for that experience but you know it's not something that i'm proud of i'm not i'm Mm -hmm. not glad that i went to jail i'm not glad that that those things happened but at at the same time like in hindsight now i can see where if i had continued on that path how much worse things could have gotten and and i'm grateful for where i am today and like you were talking about i don't think i've ever made that promise of i'm never going to use again but today with almost seven years i can look at the beautiful things that I have in my life. I can look at my wife. I can look at my daughter. I can look at 
the the career that I've built, I can look at you know the monetary possessions. Not that there's anything right. just astounding <laughs> monetarily, but you know I can look at all the beautiful relationships that I have, and I know that if I use, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose all those things. And and to me, at this moment, you know, talking to you right now, I can say that honestly, it's the trade off's not worth it. I don't even know when the last time was I had the desire to use, man. Like my life today is so much different from how it was before that I don't even I don't even have that desire to to use. Like, you know, every now and then there might be that fleeting thought of like, man, it would be nice. But if I if I take that time and and you know, another another recovery cliche like play that tape through, mm-hmm. I know how it's going to end and it's it's just not worth it. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it really isn't worth it, you know, because Every day, my life progressively gets better. And I think part of the reason that my life progressively gets better is, you know, the work that I've done. So people people say, oh, man, the, the, the steps saved my life. And I agree to that statement to a certain point. But I also think that we need to recognize the work that we've had to put into doing the steps. Because the steps are still going to be there. The key is that you have to be able to go and work the steps. And so I saved my own life. I just happened to use a program uh, and the steps as a vessel to facilitate the fact that I'm able to now look at myself and love myself and, you know, have character traits that are positive rather than negative and to be in a healthy relationship um, with a partner and, you know, and all these things, right? Because before, man, it, it was a mess. And my sponsor even asked me, he said, dude, what do you have to bring to the table if you want to be in a relationship with somebody? And at that point, I didn't have anything to bring to the table. You know, I was new to recovery. There was nothing, nothing that I could bring to the table other than myself. But, you know, now there's a lot. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I, I feel like I, I kind of say it a pretty frequently. So I'm sure, I'm sure the audience has heard me say this more than (laughs) once, but you know, like the point that you were making, if, if I'm going to these meetings, if I'm going, you know, two, three, four times a week and and I'm sitting in the room and I can quote the literature and all that, that's all fine and good. But until I can actually apply what I'm learning in my life, I'm wasting my time. I have to be actively working and changing myself and and like you said, taking those principles that I'm learning from the steps and applying them in my life, I have to do the work. You know, it's all fine and good that I have the 12 steps memorized, but if mm-hmm. I don't, if I don't have the principles that are within those steps and I'm using them in my life, then honestly, I'm just kind of wasting my time. I'm not saying don't yeah. go to meetings if you're not, if you're not doing the work. Cause I think right. it's a, it's a good place to be. You know, I've been the guy on the back row with my arms folded and not wanting to be there. But, uh, yeah. you know, if I'm not, if I'm not make, if I, if I'm not applying what I'm learning, then I really am wasting my time and, and my life is not going to improve. You know, I've seen so many people that go into meetings and, you know, they sit at the back of the room and they do that for five or six months. And then they say, this program doesn't work. I'm leaving. And it's yeah. like, well, the program works. You just never worked it. You know, you you have to do something. You have to put in some effort. You know, you're not just going to, you're not going to get this recovery thing by osmosis. Like you have to put in the work and you have to do, you have to take action on your part, you know, and, and do the things that you don't like doing. That was one of my biggest things that I hated in the beginning with, 
with step work and with a sponsor was I don't want to do the things that make me uncomfortable, right. but those are the things that bring about the most growth. Like I see that today and yeah. I've had to do things that I don't want to do, but I do them anyway. Cause I know that it's, it's going to be beneficial. Yeah, exactly, man. And you know, and you talked about the things that are uncomfortable for us and I'm really glad you, you talked about that because the things that are uncomfortable for us are the things that we need the most. And, you know, I always tell myself, like, if I'm at home and I'm sitting on the couch, maybe I've had a long day at work, and I think about going to a meeting, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't really want to do that, then that is the exact time that I need to get my ass off the couch and get to that get to that meeting. Because, you know, to, to sit in things that are comfortable for us could lead me back to a state of isolation, a state of complacency. And I, I have to keep myself on my A game because the minute that I let my guard down, my addiction's behind me, right behind that door, man. And it's doing push-ups. It's waiting for me to let my guard down. It's like Mike Tyson waiting to come and bite my ear off, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth, man. It's like yeah. it's Mike Tyson's punch out. Did you ever do that on Nintendo? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm I'm like getting ready. We're we're about to fight Mike, right? And I have to be ready. I have to be alert. And what I need to be alert about is me. Not, not what other people are doing. I'm not worried about the guy sitting in the back of the meeting, although I'm going to pray for him, right? Because hopefully um, my prayer is going to reach him and he'll be able to have a better day and maybe start working a program. But I need to worry about me, man. I always say, don't worry about the other guy's side of the street. You've got your own shit to sweep up. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. I love, I love the points that you're making. You're, you're, I feel like you're spot on, man. We're like, we're right in <laughs> sync with each other, man, yeah, for dude. sure. Awesome, man. Well, we're getting kind of towards the end of the episode and, and there's a question that I always like to ask the guests and, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't tell you about this before, so I probably should have <laughs> given you a heads no, up. That's cool, man. Bring it on. What's something that's been told to you, whether it be like a famous quote or an inspirational saying, or just like a conversation that you had that really changed your perspective on, on your life or had a really mm. big impact on you. Absolutely, man. And it's, it's cool that you asked that because I actually keep a book of quotes that I hear in meetings and things like that. And so right now I use that book of quotes as part of my merchandise line on the store. Because I want to record these sayings for prosperity, right? Because it had an impact on me. And, and so I'm going to talk about one that really had an impact. It was the first convention I went to. It was the uh, Narcotics Anonymous um, NorCal convention, uh, 2019. Yeah, 2019. And it was in, well, no, 2018. Excuse me, 2018. And I was new to recovery, man. You know, it was down in San Jose. And it was my first convention and, and my, my sponsor brother came and picked me up at like four in the morning. Cause we're going to get down there early. We got down there at five in the morning and it was like, it was like the aftermath of a rave and like, you know, all these, all these people are, are like sleeping on the couches and stuff because they're there for the convention. Right. And so we finally get up to my sponsor's room and, and we have a blast at the convention, man, dude, I walked 12 and a half miles that day. You know, just from going back and forth to the different meetings and all the different things that they had going on. So the main speaker comes onto the stage. And I don't know if you've been to a really big convention, but for me, this is a big convention. Now, I know it's not just as big as World is and things like that. But if you have 
I mean, there had to have been probably three to four, maybe not three to 4,000, but there was a lot of people there. I mean, this convention center, just, it was so big. They had to have TV projection, like in the middle. So people could see the stage. That's how big it was. And the, the main speaker was, was talking to us and it was this cat from, um, uh, from Chicago. And one of the things he said to me, which, which really stuck with me during my, the time that I've been in the program thus far is that he said, you know, I would rather be sitting in a meeting thinking about getting high than sitting in a trap house, thinking about going to a meeting. And, you know, that's, that's really like true, man, because I can remember sitting in trap houses. I can remember sitting in a dope house and like, it would, it would just be so awful to have that experience to, to be, have a, a mind full of recovery, but a handful of dope and thinking about that, man. And so that's always stuck with me. And in fact, I even put it on, on some hoodies, um, on the store, you know, as, as one of the inspirational quotes that we have for the, um, for the drunken worm podcast, but man, it's just so true. I would much rather think about, you know, doing drugs in a meeting than sitting in a dope house thinking about, you know, going to a meeting. And that's a great quote. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that and the, and the story that surrounded that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. Well, kind of in closing, I would love to give you the opportunity to, to share with the audience where they can find your podcast. Um, if you have social media accounts, website, whatever that may entail, um, please share that with us. Absolutely. And, um, so, okay, guys. So again, uh, Carl from the Drunken Worm podcast, and that's all one word when you guys do it, because if you search for the Drunken Worm, you're going to find a bar in Tennessee, and that is definitely not where you want to go for my podcast. So make sure you're putting in the Drunken Worm podcast. So we have a website, thedrunkenwormpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook. If you look up the Drunken Worm podcast, I have an Instagram account, which is TDW underscore podcast you can look it up there and also if you guys are on instagram for the recovery survey podcast uh we are also linked on to his podcast uh site for instagram so you guys can find us there and uh if you want to check us out we're on all of the major um podcast apps um apple podcast google podcast um amazon music iheart radios um stitcher and, you know, all the major podcast ones, we have episodes that post every Friday and I bring on people that are in recovery. I bring on um, experts that work in the recovery field. And so we have a really great time listening to their stories, talking a little bit about the recovery community, talking a little bit about the professional recovery community. And it's really a great experience that you can see that, you know, the people that come on, they might be experts, but they also have a story to tell. And they, there's a reason that they work in this field. Carl, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing your story with us and, and just bringing uh, that new perspective of, of what it's like to work in the recovery field and, and just all the insight that you have, man. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Absolutely, man. It's, it's been a pleasure to be on the show and I'm going to have you on to my show. So uh, let's work out some dates and um, we can, we can spit this back and forth and dude, I am still down to come and hijack your podcast one day. <laughs> that would be great, man.
Carl, thank you again for coming on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure. Guys, I would really encourage you to check out his podcast, The Drunken Worm, for more great recovery content. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.